every fan is an integral part of that club. You're not a you're not a bystander just watching it. It's not like going to the theatre or something. Um, and you just get swept up in it. There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Our Game 2 podcast. I'm joined by Z from at Desi Ballers, which on Instagram is at D-E-S-I-B-A-L-L-R-S. Um, he's also on Twitter at Desi Ballers. He spelled that one correct. Well done, Z. Just because I couldn't get the handle. That's what happened. <laughs> um, so today is the 19th of January. Um, Z, what's been going on in the world? And more specifically, what's been going uh, on with our fellow Desi Ballers? Well, I'm going to start with last week. So last Wednesday, Mansfield Town played. And that's usually just in- inconsequential to most people. But it marked 200 league appearances for Malvin Benning. Uh, which is a major achievement. He's uh, currently their longest-serving player uh, and a real fan favourite at Mansfield as well. Um, he started his career at Walsall. Didn't get much of a break there, but since he's joined Mansfield, he's been there for sort of seven seasons now, and he's been ever-present in their in their first team. Um, the fans have dubbed him King Mel, and so the club. So it's a uh, it's quite good for him to get to that 200 mark. Um, I'm just trying to find out if they got a chant for him. I'm, gonna, I'm, ask, I'm asking a few Mansfield Town fans if, uh, if they've got a chant and maybe we can sing it next week. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, <send it> to <laughs> me. No one wants to hear me sing, but I'll give that a go. Um, yeah, also, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned, mentioned Mal. I did see on your Instagram page, you put up um, some of the videos of some of the goals he scored. He scored some crackers. This is the thing about Mal. He's, um, he's a left-back by trade. So usually uh, hanging in the back four, but all of a sudden, when he, that those goals were very early in his defensive career as well. But they weren't they weren't tappings or headers. You know, normally defenders get in for the corners or they might you know get a tapping or rebound. If you look at those strikes, if you said that was by Messi or Ronaldo, if you disguise some of those goals and said, yeah, this is a, a banger by Messi, you'd accept it, wouldn't you? Like the the freak, the left foot free kick, the the volley. The oh, the technique's and, and the amazing. Like, some the technique them, was absolutely on point, right? He's so, running yeah. onto a moving ball and striking it, which is such a difficult skill, yeah. I think you said that you liked the second goal, wasn't it? That was the, the right foot finish. So he's got, he's got his two foot, he's got it all. Um, I, I did drop him a message. I said, look, we haven't seen a goal from you in a while, so he needs to get his goal tally up, at least for this season. But yeah, that was a great achievement. And um, something else that's been happening in the news recently, we talked about Hamza Chowdhury and speculation around his um, future. Uh, there's also a report that came out the weekend about Jan Danda. So he featured in uh, Swansea's championship game at the weekend, and they're currently pushing for automatic promotion, sitting second in the league. Um, and obviously they want to hold on to their players, but Jan's been attracting attention from Leeds United and Bournemouth. Uh, as well as like R- RB Leipzig, Marseille and Atalanta. So he's got a bit of uh, interest in him. Um, I was just reading today that the fans want to keep him there. They consider him to be a key first-team player, so although he's he's had a few starts and also come off the bench uh, in that push for promotion 
they want to keep him and and someone labeled him as a as a poor man's Luka Modric uh, which was meant as a compliment so I'll take that if someone said that to me I'd take it but fans hold him in in in, in regard and it's uh, interesting to see whether Jan stays because they are in a in second they are second at the moment in the championship uh, pushing for the automatic promotion or whether he ends up at Leeds and it's probably yeah, in terms of a team that plays fast transitions and quick movements, and he's got that low center of gravity and 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 pace and skill as well. Could suit that Leeds style of play, but I don't. I don't. For my personal opinion, I think he'll probably stay at Swansea and he'll play a big part in getting them to the Premier League. Hopefully by the end of the season. Yeah, best luck to him. I mean, it'll be interesting. Uh, listen, Leeds are. A great attacking team. They got big holes defensively. And what sort of, what sort of player is Yandander for those that don't know him? Because I saw him as an attacking midfielder, which I would have thought is the last thing that Leeds need at the moment. He's one of those guys who's he's an attacking midfielder. He can play also play off off the wing as well. Um, he's got that quick turn of pace, great turning circle as well. There's a goal that um, Swansea City put up on their page during pre-season where he's picked the ball up on the halfway line. I think the opposition was playing quite high line and he's uh, playing off the shoulder of the last defender and he's just absolutely burned him for pace. So he's got that in his locker. He's also uh, got the ability to fight, pick a pass as well and find himself in good positions. Um, I put a goal up of his uh, when he first joined Swansea and he picked up the second ball from a corner and that was his debut goal. So he's got that eye, he, he knows his positioning quite well and he's got that pace. And I think for a team like Leeds, you know how quick their transitions are. Although they're very much, um, I don't know how far back we want to go, but do you remember Kevin Keegan's suicidal style football, the kamikaze style he used to play? It's almost akin to that at times. And with Leeds, you're either going to see a high scorer where they win or a high scorer where they lose. There's, sometimes there's no in-between with uh, Bielsa's style. Um, but... it's one of those ones it's nice for a player to be linked and it's that silly season now it is what another couple of weeks before the transfer window ends so we're going to see much more speculation coming out and many more reports that we'll find out by the end of the end of the month where he's going to be cool okay we'll keep an eye on that story or you will and then let us all know okay what's next so news just broke today about um, Dylan Makande so Dylan Makande is a young professional at Tottenham Hotspur um, and he just signed a contract extension until 2022. Um, we were talking offline about uh, what this means for Dylan. Um, it's one of those situations where he hasn't had any first team action. He's been ever present in the under 23 team that plays in Premier League Two. Um, whenever since, since he's been at Tottenham, he's always played in the age group above. So when he was under 18, he was always featuring for the under 23s. And at the moment, he's featuring. Order under 23 at the moment. And how old is he? I think he's what eight, 19. He's I think 19 at the moment. So he's uh that, that extension takes him into his what early 20s there, 2021, he'll be. I think the, the hope for him would be to get some first team action. Now, would that happen under Jose Mourinho? Not quite sure. Jose has a, a habit of not playing um uh, youngsters from the from, from the youth team or or anything like that, unless he's pushed. Um, he's got a settled team right now, and Jose is Jose, isn't he? When he's got a settled team, that that eleven pretty much seems to stick together. So you've got to be uber exceptional or have an absolute crisis for 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 someone like Dylan or even any of the other youngsters that's supposed to come through. So 
maybe the realistic option is to get him out on loan to get game time. Um, this has always been the case whenever I've spoken to anyone that playing under 23s football is great, but where you're really going to learn about your game is when you play senior league. And that doesn't matter which, sometimes it doesn't matter what team you play for, but you could play for any of the other teams in, in the pro leagues, in championship, league one, league two, and even non-league. And we've seen players who've done that. Um, Harry Kane did, did plenty of uh, uh, loan action when he was coming through. Players even back for our David Beckham, they've all uh, played a part. And if you're looking at more closer to home, Danny Barth spent time with Colchester United and helped them to promotion and spent time with both the Sheffield clubs, United and Wednesday. Hamza Chowdhury as well was at Burton Albion and helped their promotion push as well when he was coming through as a youngster. So going out alone for Dylan wouldn't be seen as a, as a negative. It would be more about his progression in the game and learning about playing first-team football and getting that experience. Uh, usually, it would help if there's a crowd as well, so you can feel that that kind of heat when you're playing in front of a crowd where results matter more, especially in the lower leagues, in League 1, League 2. But I think the fact that he has signed this contract extension can be read two ways. Either the club have the confidence in him or they don't want to let the talent go, and that's pretty much the line with most most players, you know, a club a club keeps to play for two reasons. They see that he's got a promise or they don't want to let that talent go. Um, personally speaking, I'd like to see him get some first team action. Where that is, it's uh, purely down to whatever his management and uh, Spurs deem to be um, appropriate for him. But yeah, definitely one to, to look out for and uh, we'll see how he gets on. Cool. I think something very important that you've said that people may not be aware of um, from the outside, especially if they're just focused on supporting their local team or, or whoever they support, etc. is experience, how important that is getting experience in the first team. Because I think in our minds, everyone remembers the Michael Owens and the Tony Cotties that burst through at 17 and became internationals, etc. And people seem to think that's the standard, whereas that's more, that's the unusual route. More often it's like you said about Harry Kane and Beckham and others, they've gone on loan, they've got experiences, they need to get that under their belt and then they slowly work their way into, into the first team, hopefully at whichever club they're at, be it as high as possible. If it means they need to step down a division, we know people have done that in order to get the experience and to rebuild their careers. Okay. Absolutely. So, absolutely. So I think there's one more I, want, I do want to mention. Um, sorry. I do want to mention. Um, so we all remember what Chorley FC did, did in the FA Cup in the third round, beating Derby County. Massive, yeah. massive um, achievement that. They will be playing Wolves on Friday night in the fourth round. Um, and on their coaching setup, they have uh, an individual called Irfan Khoury. So the British Asian coach uh, and also like a opposition analyst. Um, so I don't know if anyone saw the videos of the first team celebrating and singing to, I think it was Adele they were singing to, wasn't it? After their win. I can't remember if it was Adele or not, but there was a video out and you can see Irfan uh, amongst that. So it's from a coaching perspective, from a non-playing perspective, it's uh, great to see um someone from our you know from our community within the football setup uh especially in non-league uh where we do have representation as well and he's got that involvement on 
on Friday. And I guess from a biased perspective, we're hoping they 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 go further so we can see more of a fan and more of the team singing some classics. <laughs> Mate, I'd always want the underdog to win, but this is just giving me extra incentive to to support Chorley. Come on, Chorley, who are you, Chorleyans? <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to our interview. So we interviewed Sunny Rudravajala, who, amongst other things, works for the BBC, does match reports, etc. What, I mean, people are going to hear some of the things, or everything from our interview shortly. What, name me, I'm interested to see where you go with this. What came out, what's the biggest takeaway you've got, either as a takeaway, as a learning point, or thought, experiment kind of thing from this interview i tell you what the biggest takeaway was it was someone who with sunny just personally uh something that resonates with me because um I, i've had a background in journalism as well and changing careers someone who decided in their mid-30s to change careers in the middle of a pandemic and be happy with it. <laughs> Anyone from our community would know that once you pick a career, kind of on that career path for life, aren't you? Um, and um, his decision to pursue his, I can't, I can't remember if it was his first love or not, but that love for journalism, I guess it never went. And then he took the plunge, especially as we found ourselves in lockdown and the pandemic in 2020 to, to go for it. And um, at the end of it, one, one something that he's produced as well, which is a, uh, uh, getting rave reviews as well is the, the the story I guess from a negative negative perspective demise of Berry FC, but uh, also the rebirth and the what you call the phoenix from the flames of a of a phoenix club as in uh, Berry AFC and following that journey. So um, two points for me was uh, following that story we just mentioned about the underdog and about Chorley, and seeing how an underdog team like Barry AFC is doing in the midst of the real um, sadness that exists in the game that not every team is rich with, with finances and, and uh, massive, you know, uh, you know, um, support structure or, 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 or uh, just, just in general, um, I guess as big a name as the United and the Chelsea's what can happen to football if mismanaged at the bottom level, but then also how much football means to fans. And um, I've heard some of the the, the pods that um, Sonny's put out. But for me, the biggest thing was that he changed his career mid-30s. And I hope that's an inspiration to, to a lot of people that you can pursue your passion at any time in life and you can go for it as well. And, and Sonny is uh, definitely an inspiration for that. That's what we're about on this podcast. Life-changing affirmations and inspiration see i've written down i thought i was thinking what are you going to go you might go for either bai chung batia who was is obviously one of india's greatest ever footballers who turned out for berry and yes we're talking about berry there's there's a berry in in colchester or somewhere around there but this is berry fc that used that has even won the fa cup unfortunately for reasons that will become apparent when you listen to the podcast if you're not already aware they no longer exist. Berry AFC is the Phoenix Club, and Sunny has has produced a podcast in association with BBC Sounds called Out of Our League. That is worth a listen, but only after you've listened to our interview with Sunny. Here we go. 
Okay, so now me and Z, we're joined by Sani Rudra Vajlala from, well, he works for the B, no, sorry, I'm going to get this right. You have done some match reporting for the BBC, but you're a freelance journalist. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Hello. Okay. And thanks for having me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Listen, I'm excited to talk to you because I know we're going to talk about a whole heap of stuff in this. So just before we get into any real depth, do you just, just tell us your journey to what you are now? Because I believe sport and journalism is a new thing for you. Uh, yeah, it is. Although it's always kind of been in the background. So I've got a, a classic tale of uh, as a child wanting to be a journalist and I was writing match reports for my local team. We were terrible. We went a whole season and lost every game. It was so bad. But I used to write these match reports and they were really like colourful and I had to do something because the matches were so bad. But um, off the back of all that, that was from my local paper. I got offered some work experience at the Manchester Evening News and um, my dad was a, was a doctor and uh, he passed away actually when just around that same time. And I kind of like had a a change in and where I was thinking I might go. I was about 15 at the time. And uh, my mum said, don't accept the work experience, go and be a doctor. <laughs> and here I am, <laughs> having been a science teacher for nine years, a load of other stuff, uh, and going back to the thing that I should have been doing all along. <laughs> Fair enough. What was your local team at that point? Oh, well, that was, uh, well, I, I grew up in uh, Middleton in uh, North Manchester, the Middleton Colts. We were, we were terrible. We played in AC Milan colours, but that's where, that's where the similarities ended, I think. Um, but yeah, so, so I ended up going and uh, doing an undergrad and a master's in, well, in psychology and sports psychology and thought about going down the sport psychology route. Uh, then the recession hit, retrained, did a science uh, a PGCE and then taught science for nine years. And in the background, I was always um, writing and, and keeping my like uh, journalism stuff going. So I ended up being the Sky Sports fan zone blogger, writing about my team, Berry FC. Um, I even at one point was writing these really long match reports for the under 14s school team that I was coaching. So it was always there in the background. I'd always, it was ever an opportunity to write. I ended up getting involved in that side. And then as it happens, we, you know, we're talking uh, on the 11th of January here and on the 12th of January, two years ago, uh, my son was born and I uh, was planning to go and see Berry against AFC against. Oh, I was planning to go and see Berry against uh, Milton Keynes Dons that day, but I couldn't because my wife went into labour. <laughs> as you do, So I missed the game uh, and Berry came back from three two down to win four three. And I tweeted Oh, what a great day. I've just had a son. I'm in Women's Shore Hospital and Berry have won. And um, I, I included in my tweet uh, Radio Manchester. So they then got in touch and said, come on, come on the show and come and have a chat to us. So I did. And then after that, I kind of became uh, the person that the BBC Radio Manchester would speak to about Berry. So all that was kind of happening and going off. And um, then when what happened to Berry happened and Berry uh, FC got expelled from the Football League in 2019. Throughout that time, um, Radio Manchester and other BBC organisations were, were coming to me and saying, oh, you know, will you talk to us about Berry? And although that story was was awful, um, I kind of enjoyed the process of it all. And at some point in amongst all of this, the whole thing in the back of my mind about going into journalism was kind of growing again. Um, and then before you knew it, I was auditioning for this New Voices, BBC New Voices campaign um, for like new talents. Um, and I got through to that. I talked about Berry. I talked about my son being born and missing the match and get a minute to impress the judges. And I managed to do that just about. And I didn't win, 
But in amongst uh, the, I got to the final six and in amongst those interviews, um, I pitched this idea of a podcast following what was happening to the people making a new Berry side, Berry AFC. Um, and they, they liked the idea. So they picked up on that. That got commissioned by BBC Sounds. And I was making that whilst teaching science. And at some point I was sat in the car uh, with my co-presenter, co-producer, Mark Crossley. We were driving to Chester and I went, not, not to put any pressure on this, but I've decided to quit my job and uh, try and pursue journalism. Um, and here we are. And in, in amongst that, there was a pandemic halfway through all that as well. So, um, it, yeah, it's a bit of a long, strange journey. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't change any of it. Fantastic. So so you always had a bit of a passion and desire to do the journalism side. And you're saying bizarrely, well, certain things happen. You got the opportunity to do it. And then bizarrely, it was during a pandemic you made the jump to do it full time. Well, yeah, it was it was more like I'd kind of set the wheel in motion at this point. I was, you know, making this podcast, uh, which was just like uh, an incredible sudden leap to go from, uh, you know, being the guy at what well, I haven't mentioned this yet. It's the longest I've gone without mentioning it. Being the guy on the terraces once upon a time with the drum at Berry FC to, um, you know, making this uh, podcast following what happened to Berry and uh, the new club that the fans had formed. Um, and then it was more like all these things are happening. If I don't, if I don't do something about this now, I'll, I'll always regret it. You know, I, the amount of times I've thought about that phone call from the Manchester Evening News and I turned it down, this was kind of the thing. I thought, well, it's now or never, really. I'm, I'm 35 now. It's not the best time, perhaps, for a career change, but when opportunity kind of knocks, you've kind of got to grasp it, haven't you? Superb. So, I mean, that's how I came across you through the BBC Sounds podcast. Was it out of their league, out of our league? Out of our league, yeah. We, <laughs> there's Out of their league is like this um, Salford City uh, TV uh, documentary um which kind of I, for a while google was auto correcting out of our league to out of their league but it's it's fixed now <laughs> cool so out of our league was a was it 10 11 part podcast through bbc but sounds yeah, a ten, where, 10 part series yeah 10 part series where you you followed i guess the demise or explain the demise of berry fc um how you came about to do um What's it called? A pheasant club? Phoenix club. They both begin with <laughs> F. And I've been looking forward to doing a that pheasant for club. <laughs> now I've been setting that joke up for ages. Oh, sorry. It's, it's the dad in me. <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you're clearly more versed at the dad jokes than I am. But yeah, I will get there. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, then it was the creation of the, the, the Phoenix club um, up until their first league game. So... All right, just to set the scene a little bit. So Berry FC was formed in 1885, and um, which is so it's one of the oldest football clubs in well in existence, I guess. And yeah, in the, the world, pre- yeah. So the previous owner was Stuart Day. Is that when the problem started? Wasn't he overspending or something? Yeah, um, I mean when when Stuart Day came in and bought Berry, so so Berry FC have always been you know a pretty small club. In, uh, in Greater Manchester, uh, our biggest historical achievements were winning the FA Cup uh, in the early 1900s, and then uh, in the in the 90s we got into the what is now the Championship. But we were always kind of punching a bit above our weight, you know. For Berry fans, um, one of our greatest days is the 14th of February, Valentine's Day, because it's the day that we went to Main Road and beat Man City. 
uh, and that always sticks in. Uh, <laughs> there's always a picture every year that gets posted uh, of Paul Butler, the scorer, um, celebrating at, at, the, at Main Road. Um, so we've always kind of struggled, and with those struggles ends up coming financial difficulties as well. And Berry have always struggled financially. At the time when Stuart Day came in to buy the club, they were on in, in a dire situation. It needed uh, a footballing saviour, and Stuart Day was happy to promote himself as that. We had a big rebrand. We um, we uh, rebranded the the program uh, to be the um, the Revolution, um, and all in all, it was this. Everything was new. Everything was going to be brand new and brilliant. Uh, but it turned out the money uh, wasn't quite there. Um, he ran into difficulties. He sold the club on to um, Steve Dale for a pound, uh, who then didn't uh, essentially fund the club or didn't have the funds to do so. And eventually it led to Berry FC's expulsion. So when did Steve Dale take over the club? So that would have been um, God, it's such a blur now. Uh that would have been in 2019, around the turn of the year. Um, when did you guys think or realise that, hold on a second, things are not right? Well, um, in Out of Our League, we found out that uh, the MP at the time, James Friff, uh, became aware of it relatively early on because he was getting casework where uh, some of his constituents who were from Bury uh, weren't getting paid. Um, but we kind of weren't really aware of any of that. A lot of that was kind of kept in-house. Um, eventually, though, it transpired that the, the players weren't getting paid. And that was um, around March. So, And we were on a decent run. And that, and that run started to fizzle out a little bit. And it turned out the players hadn't been paid for, for months and months. Now, in lower league football, it's not uncommon for payments to sometimes be late. I mean, it, generally speaking, it doesn't happen, but it, it can. Um, and generally speaking, it gets resolved. Uh, but in Berry's case, it didn't. So it created a bit of a siege mentality in the players who ended up doing so well on the pitch um, that ended up securing promotion. And by that point, we knew they weren't getting paid. It was it was a real bittersweet moment. We got promoted at Tranmere Rovers midweek. And um, the way it happened, actually, a match had been postponed. And when it got rearranged, it, it was mathematically, I think we needed a point or something to, to go up. But it wasn't it wasn't the same as, you know, a real... Uh, a promotion where you can put all your heart into it because we kind of knew at that stage the writing was if not on the wall it was in we were in dire straits the players hadn't been paid the staff hadn't been paid um there were threats coming from all sorts um uh, and all in all it was it was a it was a disaster so this was a promotion to league one right yeah yeah um and it was a, a brilliant team one of the best teams of very we've ever seen and the last team at the moment as it stands anyway so I think, actually, before we move on, I'm going to ask you, so how, tell me about how you became a Berry supporter. Well, um, my best mate, Steve, uh, is from Berry. I'm actually from Middleton, which is, I've mentioned here, North Manchester. Um, and I've kind of been watching a bit of United, you know, I lived around that way. Uh, but he, um, he he said, right, we're going to go to watch Berry for my birthday. So I went down. It was great. He played West Brom in the, the championship and he won 1-0. Um, and the, to go and watch Berry around that time, it was a, a quid a kid. So me, uh, my other best mate, Himmy, Himanshu, uh, we used to go, me and him, like the two only Asians pretty much there in the ground uh, for a quid with Steve. So I had my two best mates there. 
um and you get addicted you know when you know as, as you'll both know you know when you when you're on the terraces when you're in the ground and you're singing the songs and you you're part of it and especially a small club like Berry, you are every fan is an integral part of that club you're not a you're not a bystander just watching it it's not like going to the theater or something um and you just get swept up in it and before you knew it i was um doing all sorts very at that time very soon after had the first big financial issues just before or just around the time of the itv digital collapse um and i got involved with um the save our shakers campaign so i was about um 16 or so at the time and we were selling seats for 10 pounds you pay 10 pounds you get your name on a seat and that raised enough money uh was, the idea of that by the way was by neville neville uh, gary and phil neville's uh, dad who was uh, involved with the club and that combined with um a couple of player sales at uh, the sell-on of dave nugent to portsmouth uh, from Preston had a sell-on clause back to Berry because we we'd sold him to Preston. Those combined to save the club, and so uh, when you're involved in a club, not only on the terraces, but then you're also involved trying to save the club, and it's it's all consuming. Then there's there's no there's no turning back whatsoever. Okay, and so, so okay, how did the drums come about, and were you going to home and away games with them as well? Yeah, we're, talk- we're talking like a big bass drum, by the way. <laughs> I wasn't like doing a bit of banger or something. <laughs> but um, I-, I don't know. I-, I-, I kind of felt we needed something, especially at away games. We had a drum at the home games. Um, we needed something. And I was, I don't know, I was at a bit of a loose end at one point on eBay. Uh, and I found somebody was selling a bass drum for, I think it was about like 10, 15 quid in kent right and you know i was i was very much uh, uh an ardent northerner back then so i just bought kent and i was at uni university at the time and i had a housemate who was uh, from kent and it was over the holidays and i said well, ah ken he, he lives in kent i'll just order it and he can pick it up for me having no idea <laughs> it was in massive county as it happened it was in the village next to him so he picked it up for us uh, and you know it's, i think that's one of his biggest life regrets because then the drum went with me wherever i went uh, I got called all sorts of names here, there and everywhere <laughs> at times. Um, but it was something to kind of bring all the fans together and uh, have some great memories. You know, and we've we've won promotions and I've, I've thrown the drum on the pitch and the players have banged it and stuff. And um, it, it was just another way to kind of channel my enthusiasm into into loving Berry and football. Fantastic. Just to ask you on that at the time. So. We've, I think, I can't remember if it was before recording, we mentioned that most Asians around that area will probably be sporting, I guess, Manchester United, possibly Liverpool as well. Um, did you did you find there any issues at all with, with going there and being an Asian? Were any comments made or either directly, indirectly? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think, well, there, there are two strands. Like, on the one hand, I feel like, and I'm, I'm sure you both are the same. Like it, sometimes, if you walk into somewhere, you can you can feel other, right? Um, I don't know. If I went if I went into a pub I'd never been in somewhere, um, I'd always have that little thought in the back of my head, whether it was based on uh, reality or just experience or just I don't know insecurity or or the truth that oh people are going to look at him. Oh, what, what's what's that Asian guy doing there? What's he doing? I suppose. I didn't quite feel that at Berry because I had my two best friends with me. And for me, it was kind of like we were just going to go there. Um, but that's not to say like there haven't been any isolated 
incidents like um one time i know me and himmy uh himan who's, who's asian as well british asian uh we were at um an away game i think it was in wrexham and uh somebody said uh something kind of racist to us a berry fan actually um and we were and, and i think you just you know something about fnps and then he moved seats but that i'd say that you know that would really tar berry fans with a really bad brush if to bring up that incident and say oh yes this happened that would be you know uh really it was an isolated incident i suppose for us um just being there and watching the football you're all kind of you're all berry fans you know i've said there's so few of us you know we're we're just happy to see any of the berry fans i guess color and and creed and all the rest of it doesn't really play into it but you know there, there will be people and you know it's in all football it's in all society there'll be people there who maybe are racist as, as there are anywhere you know whether it's they reflect, act on that or say anything yeah um i mean I, I'll, I'll give you one incident that's happened with the drum right and this was a uh i was at an away game uh port vale i don't mind mentioning the club is port vale and you know where you get to a ground and uh you realize you're on the wrong side of the ground and you've got to walk all the way around past all the home fans to get to the away section so i was doing that me uh with my massive bass drum big <laughs> asian guy walking through uh stoke round round uh round port vale uh with him as well and uh this guy he was walking towards me um and and when I look at it now, I, I can tell what his thought process must have been because he'd seen me, he'd seen the drum, and he had about, I don't know, five seconds to use like all his brain power to think of something. And, and uh, as I walked past him, he said, you better not be making uh, effing curry in that effing drum and walked <laughs> past. <laughs> we... I mean, it's funny so... in retrospect because it's such a yeah, stupid well, well, inane comment. Fair, yeah, ex- exactly. So at the time... One, I was like, wow, that actually just happened. Two, we were, we were like still walking with this big drum. There's loads of people. So we just carried on walking a bit. And looks at him, it's like, that just, that, that just happened. And we were kind of like, yeah, absolutely dumbfounded and, and laughing about it. Like, wow, this guy's a complete moron. And that's the best he could come up with, uh, uh, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that was mind blowing. But. Those are really, really isolated incidences. And I wouldn't like to give an impression that lower league football is some sort of cesspit of racism and bigotry and uh, nastiness in general. Those are like two instances that stick out because they're so isolated um, uh, and so rare and random. Usually and generally speaking, uh, everything's been okay. Yep. No, I mean, I've, I've gone to a few lower league grounds in my time, especially when I was younger, don't recall anything. I've been to non-league games more recently, don't recall any issues as well. And there is that thing, like you said, about the fact there are so few of supporters of whichever club it is, whether it's Berry in your case or um, whichever team, that I think on the whole, it, I wouldn't say it's a kind of siege mentality, us against them, but I think on the whole, people are appreciative of people who are coming coming to watch as as well i mean on that so again sticking with asians just for a moment around so when you you started the drum around what late 90s early 2000s is that about right no no, that would have been that would have been about uh 2006 or 7 i think okay and what sort of crowds were berry getting at the time oh um 
I mean, it would have been, we, we were pretty poor back then. Um, maybe, maybe 3000 at best around, maybe a bit lower. Okay. Yeah. We, we had, we had, a, we had some very bad sides around that time. Okay. And what's, so what's the ethnic makeup of, of Berry like as a lower league club? Um, first of all, in the town, do you know how many Asians there, there are? Approximately? Yeah, well, we, well, I mean, the censuses are all, um, if that's the plural of census, are all uh, a bit out of date. Um, so like it says it's about um, 7%, I think, uh, from what I've seen. Okay. And was um, that concentrated the most recent the data. Yeah, so um, the data I've got here, which was pulled from the um, Berry Council website, has um, yeah seven percent overall. But what, and I didn't I didn't know it was quite this figure, although it makes sense. Um, right next to Gig Lane, uh, the Red Fails area is twenty two percent Asian. Um, so that is a pretty uh, sizable uh, number. Um, but you know they're not they're not at the games. They're not in the ground. Well, when we when we had games there. Um, but yeah, so there, there is there is a big Asian community on on Gig Lane's doorstep. Again, sorry, just before we move on, then. So you said they 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 didn't go to the games. Was that was is that an absolute thing, or are we talking about a very small percentage? Um, I mean, it must have been. A, I mean, when I say a very small percentage, like I I I know by face, like pretty much the other Asians that were there <laughs> but you know maybe maybe they were all hiding somewhere else but I never saw never saw yeah. any but um you know that Barry did do a couple of things to try and engage with the population but I suppose it's kind of reflective maybe of the time of the thinking maybe of a lack of resources uh if you're trying to keep a football club going going out of your way to engage with a disengaged population is even more resource that you might not have but um we did sign uh Indian India's greatest ever footballer. And um, we also had a friendly against Pakistan once as well. Um, so they did do a couple of things, but um, certainly I look back on that time and think, well, there's a, there was a real missed opportunity there probably. So, okay, we'll cut. All right, so the, the footballer in question, who was that? Oh, Bajan Bhutia, of course. The great man himself. He can play football and he can dance. I mean, what more do you need in life? Okay, um, Z. I don't know if you want to step in there and give us a, a quick recap. Who is Baichan Butia? Oh, let Sunny explain who Baichan Butia is. He's wearing the the white colour shirt as well. Um, but <laughs> Baichan Butia is the the modern legend of Indian football. Um, captain, phenomenal goal scorer. Um, from what I remember, because I was quite young when he came over to Berry. Um, he had an immediate impact because everyone suddenly had this uh, idea that the floodgates were going to open and we were going to start looking at talent from that part of the world. Um, but today he remains the only one. But he he seems to have a good report with the fans from what I remember. Yeah, so so I should mention I'm wearing uh, an Indian football shirt, even though this is a podcast of, of all my Indian football shirt anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, right, I, I'm very biased here, right? So if I tell you about this, I can say Bajan Bhutia came to Berry and it was a revolution and uh, the fans loved him. But I know certainly I loved him and it was a revolution for me. But the fans did did really appreciate his efforts and um, they, did, they did take to him. Of course he did. He, he did struggle with injuries and that, that really held him back. That, that really 
derails what could have been, um, you know, a, a, a brilliant experience for for him there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I saw him almost score an overhead kick once, which really <laughs> stuck in my mind. But yeah, the fans the fans did love him. Um, they really took to him, but he just he just struggled with injuries so much, which is a re- real real shame. Okay, and I know you said there wasn't much going on between the club and the local community, but at that point, did it? Do you know if it generated any kind of interest amongst the the people around Gig Lane? Yeah, we did it. it. It was in all the headlines and made made national press and stuff. Um, I mean, I remember one instance where I ran into him on the street and just went crazy. <laughs> I was just like, I think I was in sixth form at the time and I'd just gone out for lunch and he was there with like a minder in in Berry Town Centre just walking along. I don't know where he was based, um, but yeah, he was uh, just taking in the sights of which there are very few. Well, there were back then. Anyway, we've got lots of nice things in Berry. Um, as far as a greater impact, I feel like, well, a lot of the Asian community around um around the stadium around in barriers of uh, Pakistani heritage. So I'm not sure how keen they were on seeing the captain of the Indian football team. I don't know whether uh, the guys doing the research at the club had made those connections or not. Um, but, you know, if, if the captain of Pakistan had turned up for Barry, I would have gone and watched him anyway as well. So uh, it was just great to see um, somebody who had roots similar to my own um, playing in for the team I loved, you know, it was crazy. I loved it, but um, I don't, I don't know. Perhaps it's a bit of a, it was overall a bit of a missed opportunity. Okay, cool. And then, so going back to Berry, then, I, I mean, I've, I think I've spoken on the podcast about this before, but being a West Ham supporter, it's so wrapped up in my identity growing up. I didn't have a lot of family. We moved around a lot. So then there was, even friends came and went quite quickly and West Ham was a one, one kind of constant in my life. So, um, and so I, like I said, my identity is completely wrapped up around being a West Ham fan. And I've had conversations with other people because obviously with most football clubs, there's ups and downs of finances and sometimes clubs have flirted with going out of business, etc. And I'm not sure if we, if West Ham, cease to exist whether i'd actually support another football club um but you've been through that so you've got berry and well what's interesting i think about the berry story is that berry still exists or berry fc still exists and at some point the fans have decided we we can't wait any longer we need to have or create a phoenix club do you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah well at the time, when you think about where Berry's situation was, so we got expelled from the Football League, the first side that that's happened to since 1992. We had huge debts, uh, didn't seem like there was any way they were going to get paid. A potential uh, owner that could have saved the club had fallen through. Um, and things were looking as bleak as they possibly could. The general assumption was that it was a matter of time before Berry FC uh, were liquidated. Now, as it stands, Berry FC, the football club, don't exist, but the company does exist. But whilst that, well, before I get into that complicated situation, whilst the idea that the club wasn't going to be around anymore uh, was going on, and we knew there wasn't going to be a football club, a group of fans got together to start a new side. So, if you want to look at it like this, like at the very least, it meant that there would be a football team 
in Berry. And if Berry AFC hadn't have been formed, there would be no football in Berry right now. Well, with with the leagues running, if they were, you know, without a pandemic, of course. But um, so the fans started this new side, and in the background, due to court cases getting adjourned, um, a couple of tax bills getting paid off or, or abated. Um, the club has kind of limped on and uh, with the courts then closing, the club the still club? exists. You're talking about Berry FC as opposed to Berry Sorry, AFC, yeah, Berry right? FC. Yeah, so Berry FC, the limited company still exists. And, um, you know, I don't want to, you know, talk that situation down as if like they're not going to get saved. But I mean, in my opinion, I think it would be extremely unlikely that they could be saved. However, even as we speak, there has been somebody saying they're interested in buying the club um, or the assets that there are and paying off the debts or, but it's, it's a real mess. Essentially your, um, your money would be buying the intellectual property that is very FC um, and potentially a stadium uh, with a huge mortgage on it, which you could then pay off or, or not. So, um, Nobody envisaged this situation. Um, Macclesfield would be an example of where, that, I suppose, a clean cut kind of liquidation and starting again. Um, for us, it's been really complicated. And that has caused a split in the fan base. It's difficult to really ascertain the, the level of the split because everything's on social media. So if you go on social media, there are some real vehement posts, say anti, anti-Phoenix, they call or F the Phoenix, they call themselves. I don't know how representative that is of the fan base because I know we've got over one and a half thousand members, for example. And if you think like the fan base might only be two or three thousand, that's a decent number. But it's not it's not everyone because Berry FC is still there. If there's only one club, um, then probably AFC is where a lot of those fans will go, assuming they don't feel like AFC have somehow contributed to the demise of Berry FC. Um, so yeah, I hope I've not overcomplicated things too much, but but the short version is there's Berry AFC. It is a football club. It's playing in the 10th tier of English football. There's Berry FC that doesn't have a football side, but does have the badge, the history, the name and a stadium, albeit it's mortgaged off. It's in a load of debt and it has no team and it has no league, um, but it still is there. So, I mean, what's quite interesting about the story and just on that I'll, I'll say it again it's a fascinating podcast it's really worth listening to out of our league bbc sounds and i guess everywhere where decent podcasts are right um so you have been it does seem to be that the phoenix club which is now called berry afc everything about it from the name the kit the badge um has been member-led is that right? Was that a deliberate thing to try and appease many people or what was the rationale behind that? Well, I suppose um, when you've been through what Berry fans have been through, um, the only option that fans felt, you know, was was some sort of form of fan ownership. And there was a vote in, on how that model should be. Um, it's not quite the same as AFC United, who um, are a club that will always be 100% fan owned. There is, um, I think in the way that it's set up, one could be an investor and buy a chunk of the club, but it would always be majority fan owned. So um, it, yeah, it's a fan owned club. Everything's been done by the fans. The badge was made by the fans. The kit was designed by the fans. Um, some of the sponsors are, are fans of the club as well. Um, 
it's, it's and it's amazing to have seen the amount of talent there is in a fan base considering that all of these people uh were just passively watching a game and one mad guy with a drum we're all just sat there watching all of a sudden we're all in our own way getting involved as best we can okay so if someone wants to ask you the question now and you had let's say five seconds to think about it what football team do you support berry <laughs> <laughs> that's what i say i say i'm a berry fan <laughs> because like i don't know for, to me a berry afc and fc are ultimately a representation of the same thing you know um we're, we're on a we're on an asian football based podcast right so how about this for an example right what about all the different avatars of vishnu they're all representing the same overall god can i do that can i go with that sort of representation Listen, I, I understand that yeah that's fine <laughs> um yeah no i get that it's quite interesting all right so why i get why there's a split why is it so antagonistic Hmm, right. Well, I think partly it's because of a situation where there's been no resolution. Um, the devil makes work for idle minds. We've all been stuck in lockdown. You've only got your computer in front of you. Uh, social media's algorithms channel outrage very well. Um, but, you know, those things aside, it's, it is, I think it is a minority. I think the majority of fans are either waiting for resolution, maybe have decided Berry FC, they're going to wait for that, or they've decided to go with AFC. I think, but I think, so the, the three real camps are people on the fence, people on Berry AFC side, uh, people who are still sticking with Berry FC, and a very small group who are, vehemently saying that very afc have contributed to fc not being able to come back i really do think it's a minority but the a loud minority voice can be very powerful and influential as we all know okay um a couple of things how from the outside looking in i was i mean i was shocked i'm sure z was as well when when greg clark was being interviewed and said when did you find out about Barry's financial plight and he was like I didn't know anything um and I I mean one of the podcasts I listen to as well is the price of football um and it's quite illuminating listening to both listening to that and just seeing generally what the FA and the EFL how they run and how there doesn't seem to be either I guess consistency or or I guess rock solid procedures to follow. Do you, I'm trying to think what my question is. I guess my question is, do you think what happened to Barry could have been avoided? Um, the short answer is yes. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, in, in, in out of our league, we, we start off looking at what happens to Barry and in episode two, we kind of look at why that happened. So uh, one of the people we speak to is Mark Palios, who used to be, the chief executive of the FA, who's now um, uh, chairman at Tramier Rovers. And um, there are lots of measures in place to uh, prevent what happened to Berry. I mean, he kind of gave us the impression that the FA are kind of, the FA and the EFL are kind of the picking up the scraps from the Premier League 
you know we we i always felt like the fa are this you know all powerful organization that can really you know have a big impact on what's going on across football but really their their remit is on uh the grassroots side and and the and the amateur side of the game looking at that part and and then they've got a, a bigger part to play in women's football and the way that's set up yeah i thought exactly the same the, i think that's uh that's something that comes as a surprise to many people or it may not be a surprise i think people without thinking about it too deeply just think the fa's in control of all football in in england and that's far from the truth sorry sonny yeah well um we also spoke to Damien Collins, who was the chair of the select committee that um, investigated what happened to Berry. Um, and there is something called a, the fit and proper persons test from the EFL. Um, and you have to demonstrate that you've uh, you don't have a criminal record um, and you've got sufficient money to buy a football club. But um, it's all kind of self-regulatory. So Steve Dale bought Berry FC. Uh, without passing that fit and proper persons test. And when the EFL asked him, oh, we haven't provided us the documents to to show that or whatever you needed to show that, he just didn't show them. And there was nothing the EFL could do. Ultimately, the EFL's um, hand, if you like, was forced because they were able to expel the club because of a a lack of proof of funds, essentially. Um, But had Steve Dale not been allowed to take over the club or had Stuart Day, because he sold the club to Steve Dale for a pound, had he sold it to the fans, there might still be a Berry FC playing that, football somewhere. Was that on the cards at the time? Were the fans asking for well, well, the club? A, it, it is something that fans we've spoken to on, on the on the, in the series have said, you know, why didn't you just, why didn't, if, if Steve, if, if Stuart Day had got into, um, into, financial, into a financial mess um, and he was trying to get rid of the club, and you sold it for a pound, why not sell it to the Supporters Association? Why not sell it to um, a fan? And, and one, of our, one of our contributors said, because you know, then they could have gone to the EFL and said, look, we bought this club for a pound. We don't know what to do. Help us. But instead it got sold to Steve Dale and we are where we are. And I mean, who knows? I mean, it's all, it's all conjecture, isn't it? For all we know, the fans might have been in exactly the same situation. But in the first instance, the the way the club was sold um, didn't reflect what the procedures were supposed to be, and um, the whole system needs looking at. And that that's what um, even even the chairs of the select committee were telling us. Okay, um, so what and what, which league is Berry in now? Berry AFC now in. So so we are in. Um, the tenth tier. It's the Northwest Counties Football League Division One North. Now, considering we've never been out of the Football League, or Berry fans have never experienced non-league football before, it is a big drop. Um, it's only a couple of divisions above where I was playing on a Saturday League a long, long time ago. But that was partly because I'd fallen. Uh, the manager I was playing with, uh, he'd he'd fallen out with a lot of the first team players, so he promoted some of the terrible reserve players into the side. So that's the real reason. <laughs> but um what i've quickly realized you know I, I love football i'll go watch football anywhere when when we got expelled and there was no football we didn't have a club i spent part of that season just going to non-league teams and watching them and that that kind of inspired um the podcast idea actually because through the podcast in episode three we actually explore all of non-league and that came through my experiences of going to watch Cheadle town for example and just seeing what it was like there um and it is a good standard 
You know, um, these players are semi-professional. These players um, are training twice a week. They've got day jobs, full-time jobs, and they're still they're still playing football. They're playing because they they love it. And a lot of those players. Um, you know, they could, a lot of them could go into the football league, you know, the difference would be fitness. Um, but, you know, not everyone uh, can, can, can put up with that grind as well. I mean, there's loads of different reasons why someone might end up in non-league football, but the standard is, is pretty good. I must say. Okay. Do you want to just quickly explain for our listeners how the pyramid system works in that regard and whether are there teams or the leagues below where you are at the moment or how did Berry end up in that particular league? Uh, well, yeah. So, so the football pyramid, essentially in theory, you could start off in the bottom division and win all your promotions and end up in the Premier League. And uh, the best example of that is Wimbledon who did exactly that. And uh, AFC Wimbledon, uh, the the best Phoenix club, if you like, the, the blueprint of a Phoenix club that started again themselves and worked all the way up through the leagues. Not quite to the Premier League yet, uh, but I reckon it might come one day, actually. Um, so, yeah, you, we we applied for um, placement in a league. Uh, things got very complicated with the pandemic and the league's getting uh, restructured. But the FA um, decided, because the FA choose that, they put us into uh, the 10th tier. Um, there are some tiers below that. And at one point, there was an argument we could have gone into the 11th tier, uh, which would have been a bit of a kick in the teeth because that would have been the premier division of the divisions I was playing in, (laughs) which would have been just mad. Um, But yeah, they they put us in the 10th tier and the mission is to get promoted uh, sustainably. Uh, But I think, you know, I say that the real mission is to just have a football team playing again, a sustainable football club playing again. Um, I know on the football side, they want to get promoted. Um, and we all kind of do. And um, getting back to the football league would be a dream for all of us. Uh, but I think most importantly is having a team and being sustainable. That if there's one thing we've learned, it's that, you know, overreaching and and living not living within your means is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I think, I mean, listen, best of luck on the journey. It's not going to be easy, especially when you get, I guess, to the national conference where you've got lots of teams that have been in in the, the top four divisions before at one point or another. Um, Z, any questions at the moment? So on the front, I'll just say on the front of, um, well, on one side, you want to get promoted up the leagues back into the football league, essentially. And then it's sort of the history that Berry FC has, right? All of the history that you've had. Is that something that you want to grab back as well? And then if you were able to get all the assets and the rights to it, would you then change, would you think about changing the name of Barry AFC back to Barry FC. Well, I mean, there are there have been other teams that have done that. Darlington being uh, one example, and AFC Wimbledon as well have, have uh, taken the, the history back. For us, it's such a complicated situation at the moment with Barry FC still being in existence, and the club, you know, could potentially come back. Um, and I think, you know, there's in another world where there was only one club then the answer would have been yes. But right now it's more a case of, well, we've just got to wait and see. Um, because if you were to start saying, oh, yes, we do, then the argument would go, well, you're trying to you're trying to destroy Berry FC so you can take the assets, which, you know, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that at all. But um, it's such a complicated answer to what could be a relatively simple question because the situation's so messy. And what support have you had from like the other clubs as well? I think on the documentary I was watching on BBC, you had the, was it Rotherham who came down? To support 
Yeah, well, there's there's been loads of loads of stuff. So um, yeah, there, there's a there's a documentary as well. So um, bringing football, but bringing football back. That's on the iPlayer, um, which um, I, I wasn't involved in making, but I, I worked closely with uh, the Tom Beale, one of the producers, making that, uh, and we shared a bit of audio and a bit of intel here and there. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the support from clubs has been wide ranging. Certainly um, through solidarity. And then actually bits logistically. So, um, for example, the uh, manager of or co-manager of um, Chester FC, uh, Anthony Johnson, um, who people might know was uh, very much in the uh, Salford City series. Uh, he's a Berry fan, and he actually um, sat in on a Zoom call with the uh, the board and advised on like all the elements of non-league you need to know, like you know when should the players train and you know how many balls should you buy even those most basic stuff because uh we were a bunch of fans and we wanted to get a football team going again but none of us had ever run a football club before so uh, i sat in on that on a couple of those board meetings and then interviewed anthony as well when we spoke to him um and he's been really really helpful um charlton athletic have also been uh great the supporters trust there we've had a bit of a connection with them and we talked to them in in the podcast series and i end up we end up actually speaking to the the new owner of charlton uh, in out of our league as well just pressing him uh about Thomas his involvement in football. right yes yeah i asked him if uh charlton's his latest toy <laughs> which he, he said he she said the answer was no um but yeah well um i think all fans would like to see i think most if not all very all football fans were uh shocked at what happened to Berry fc very few i think would would blame the fans especially on what happened so there's a lot of um there's a lot of like positivity there uh rangers was another club actually that that were involved in a virtual friendly as a fundraiser during lockdown so there's a lot of goodwill out there um we just got to get playing again and, and be able to make the most of that so when when Barry went out of business what exactly went as in obviously you had the first team what else did Barry constitute well, um, well, every everything went on the football side. So all the players left. Um, there was a couple who'd kind of stayed on, uh, thinking the club might get a resolution, but they've all they all left. The youth team was disbanded, um, which is a real shame because you know, like a lot of lower league sides, um, bringing youth players through and, and selling them on is. Um, a key part of any business model for a football club, uh, whether it's sustainable, I'm not sure, but that, you know, all that was gone. All those, all those kids who'd, who'd spent years coming through the, the, the center of excellence. And then, you know, first team scholar, first year scholar, second year scholar, those kids were just cut off. Most of them, I think managed to get new deals. A couple of them ended up at uh, a couple of premier league sides as well. Um, but yeah, the, as it happens, the women's team had been uh, a separate entity that was put into, uh, brought into the club when uh, Steve Dale took over. Um, and that was then uh, disbanded and they had to restart again. That first team was gone. Um, all the staff were let go uh, across the board, everything. Um, the groundsman has been working on the pitch for free in the background, actually. Even now, he's been going to Gig Lane. Uh, and just keeping the pitch in good nick. So if you went to Gig Lane now, the pitch is immaculate. The, the stands are all showing signs of, uh, you know, not being looked after at all. And, and you know, there's leaves everywhere and the the, 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 the the woods around the ground are starting to slowly take over. But the pitch is immaculate. He's still doing that for free. 
that's amazing that is it shows you the power of football i believe one of your fans regularly one of the very fc fans regularly um handcuffs herself to the gates as well is that right well, she she's done it twice, um, but yeah, she she did it did so. Uh, Joy Hart, she did so, and it it brought a an international audience, international attention to Berry's plight. You know, her her dad was at the club for over forty years as a player and a manager, um, a physio at one point. He did everything. He named a stand after him, and uh, yeah, she handcuffed herself to the ground uh, when we were not yet expelled. Um, but looking down the barrel and it brought a lot of press attention. It brought our plight to the media. Um, it, it brought some interested parties to the table as well. They didn't come to fruition in the end. And then a year on, she did the same protest again. So we were, I was with her. I went to see her at that protest as well. Um, because in her eyes and in many fans' eyes, Berry FC still exists. And who am I to to say to her that, you know, cut your ties with Berry FC, jump on the AFC bandwagon when when her entire life has been dedicated and uh, defined by this football club. You know, uh, who am I to say, don't do that. But um, so I, I wish Joy all the best and I hope we get a resolution one way or the other. Uh, but I don't think she's handcuffed right now. Don't, don't worry about <laughs> that. Cool. OK. And so what does Berry AFC now consist of? Is it just the men's team at the moment? And how yeah, big it's, it's, is it? Have you got enough for a reserve team or...? Well, it, well, it's just there, there is, at the moment they've just got a first team, and, and I think on the football side of things, that the main aim of the game is get a, get a team out there, get playing. Um, the way non-league works, especially at that level, is um, I know most in, in general terms, most players are non-contracted, so you can actually have loads of players, but you don't have to uh, worry about salaries and all that side of things. So um, there's there's a pretty sizable squad, I believe, or at least there's a there's a good good size squad. Um, but yeah, it's just a, just a first team at the moment, and we're playing at Radcliffe FC, uh, ground sharing with them, which is in the borough of Bury. Uh, it's just just a couple, it's like a mile and a half or so, two miles away from Gig Lane. Okay, and bringing it back to Asians in football for a moment, um, you've said before that the area around Gig Lane has got quite a high percentage of Asians, etc. What's hap- Is there anything happening with the club in terms of trying to engage them to try and help them? either come and support the club or give any other kind of assistance, be it sponsorship or, or whatever. Yeah. Well, um, something we exploring out of our league is, you know, it's, it's, it, it runs throughout the series is, is looking at diversity and we're always, we're looking at, you know, making sure we reflected our society in general. Um, and we do talk about that. And I also, you know, with, with my role um, as a volunteer at the club, uh, at one point I got approached uh, with regards to that, and we have a conversation which I recorded and, and we put into the series. Um, the thing that's pampered all of that, of course, is the pandemic. So there is the idea of um, uh, a board that, you know, a separate working party that can work specifically looking at uh, inclusion um, and kind of bringing uh, not just Asians in, but, you know, a, a, you know, any underrepresented group because football is for everyone. And, um we've all we've all seen like the positive impacts that football can have on so many different levels uh it, but at the moment with everything being on pause it's very difficult to kind of get any momentum going even if we were playing matches right now we'd only be allowed 150 fans and previously it was 300 fans and those tickets are going quicker than glastonbury 
which is a which is very rare to happen for Berry. But when you've got you know uh, the best part of you know fifteen hundred members or whatever it is, um, and you've only got one hundred and fifty tickets, they're, they're going to get snapped up. So I think in the long term, assuming all things are equal uh, and the club get back playing again, it will be something that uh, will be uh, like a key element to like the showing that this club is is for everyone. Okay, fantastic. Z, any questions? I was going to say, as as a reporter and coming in for the game, this story is quite personal to you in terms of the journey that you've gone through with the pod. Um, what the challenge has been for you to make sure that you're giving the best of you forward and it's not all personal, that you're trying to keep your impartiality as a reporter as well? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So um, Mark Crossley, who's made the series with me, Mark's a brilliant journalist he's um, uh, a wizard when it comes to audio production as well specifically I, i've learned everything about audio production watching uh, him screen share his adobe audition on zoom so uh, he's really really good but he's he's a bbc journalist as well he's a i'm a, I'm a freelance i freelance with bbc but he's he's a staffer there and he was very much making sure that we kept balance he was keeping that balanced head and and he himself was you know on the fence with it all i i jumped in with both feet and gone right i'm going to i'm going to volunteer for the club um which yeah gives you that um you know you've got a genuine storyteller if you like somebody's involved in it but yeah you're very you're very much right you know you've got to make sure you're not being biased and i i feel i did you know try, i worked very hard to make sure we were being balanced and i feel like I don't think many could ever turn around and say that I wasn't because I do ask some very difficult questions um, of, of the people who run very AFC, but having Mark there as well, um, making sure that you're just, just keeping us thinking, you know, you know, make sure you aren't being <laughs> going too much like that. We, we didn't, we, we didn't want to make a very AFC puff piece. You know, mm. this is, this isn't, it, we don't, we're not, we're, you know, if you, if you work with a BBC, you're not, you're not going out to try and represent a, uh, a football club and promote the football club. It's it's telling the story. And the thing that made that very easy to do was talking to the fans. The the thing that's this podcast is about, it's about the fans' voices. And we speak to fans across the entire spectrum. We speak to those who are involved at the club. We speak to, you know, the managers and all the rest of it. Um, but we also speak to, to Joy Hart would be the with the best example of somebody who who lives and breathes Berry, but completely is is at the moment opposed to afc um and if you if you give their voices the the platform to speak then the balance is there because you've you've got you've got genuine people telling a a true genuine story with their own hearts in it so it then doesn't you don't need to worry so much about whether whether my personal biases are playing any any part in it and is it easier for you to then get access as well because you're a fan you're involved as well but you're getting the inside track where someone's coming from the outside, they might not have that same investment or connections or understanding of what's happening. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, um, yeah, it, it was, it was pretty, uh, for me, it was a bit of a strange journey because I volunteered as a, as a, as to, to join AFC as a, as a volunteer. And I also signed up as a member and I did that before um, the podcast had been commissioned. So I wanted to get involved and help out. And the next minute I'm kind of having to take a step back from it all a little bit and be a kind of a on the inside, but kind of taking a, a little bit of a, not quite a voyeur, but I certainly was, I was sat in meetings with a microphone on the table recording everything. And we'd, we'd only take like maybe a minute of like an hour meeting. Um, but yeah, the, the access we've got is, is pretty unique in that respect. So in the final game, I, um, 
give my microphone and my and we it was all connected to a phone and we put it in a manager puts it in his pocket and he mics himself up for the team talk so um yeah being being on the inside and uh, being part of that meant he he could trust that we were going to be honest with what we were doing but you know uh, make sure we were we were not going to misrepresent anyone and we it wasn't a gotcha or anything like that it wasn't um it wasn't we weren't trying to get out to get anyone or anything of, of that sort of ilk cool okay just a couple of last questions about berry um all right, so the two questions are going to be, what do you think is going to happen over the next couple of years? And a separate question from that, what would your ideal scenario be? Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm speaking as me here. <laughs> I'm not representing anyone but me, which I should probably say. Um, so, okay. I I mean, I, you know, I, I've said this, you know, it's, it's weird because I'm, I'm very aware of like the stuff that's kicking off on social media, even like right now. And like last night I went and looked at the Facebook group and the Twitter and it's, it's, it's pretty toxic at the moment. So I'm just a bit wary about what I say and somebody going, Oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if you, I'll, I'll give my honest opinion is that, I mean, it would take somebody with a lot of money to save Berry FC. And when I say save, I mean, buy the club, buy the assets, buy the ground, clear off the million pounds or two million. I think it's, I think it's 3.4 million pounds of, of debts or whatever, and buy Steve Dale out and trying to press the reset button. You know, that would be like your uh, Aladdin kind of genie in a bottle sort of wish, you know, that would be the magic situation. Um, and in that situation, then I'd like to think that Berry AFC and FC would maybe merge at that point. In the situation at the moment, if the club doesn't get saved, well, you know, there's only so long you can go without a financial situation being resolved. If the club's going to be uh, in this situation of owing all this money and things aren't going to get paid, eventually that's going to get borne out and the club will end up getting liquidated. If that were to happen, then the first thing, the priority would be that anyone who was on the Berry FC side of the argument felt comfortable in, in joining Berry AFC. Um, in the future, if, if if any of those, I suppose getting to Gig Lane would be the big thing. That's the big thing for everyone, really, actually, getting to Gig Lane. If we could play back at Gig Lane in some capacity, um, that would be an aim. But it wouldn't be sustainable at the moment for a 10th division side with very little income to suddenly be servicing the debts on this huge stadium or even maintaining the stadium. So we just got to wait and see on that front. If you want to think really long term, I would always like us to keep the name Berry AFC, and now that's a bit might be a bit conf, conf, uh, might be a bit uh, controversial to say that, but for me, I think the A, and by the way, the A doesn't actually stand for anything officially. Uh, so for me, the A would always represent the fact that us fans kind of got together and formed this football club. The A would stand for everything that happened and give us a reason to kind of remember. And always think back to this time and think this this is this is what happened to our football club. We shouldn't forget that. Um, when the football club first formed, I was, I was in a WhatsApp group with the che- who's now the chairman. And uh, when the vote was uh, announced, and Berry AFC was what uh, came out, he's posted on our WhatsApp thread, um, Berry AFC All Fans Club, and that always kind of stuck with me. For me, that that's what AFC to me stands for. So, in the longest possible terms, if Berry FC aren't going to survive and there's only one route and it's AFC. 
I'd kind of like us to keep the name AFC because it, it represents everything that we're going through. Oh, fantastic. Listen, best of luck for you and for Berry. Um, genuinely, I think football fans hated seeing any club go out of business and we've seen both Berry and Macclesfield in the last year, which... It's a real shame because there's a lot of history there. Like you said, you, you're FA Cup winners. I think Macclesfield have, um, haven't they had more black managers than any other league club or something? So there's different kinds of history, which which is there, which is gone. And it's it's a massive shame. Okay, so with you, Sunny Rudravajula, what's happening next with you and, and journalism, etc.? Well, um, so I'm currently doing my uh, NTTJ, the National uh, College for the Training of Journalists qualifications, um, and I'm freelancing for for Radio Manchester. So I'm, I'm match reporting. So um, generally, I was going going to matches at Oldham Athletic with like literally four pairs of socks on and about eight layers because it's the coldest ground. If you've ever been to Boundary Park, it is the coldest ground there. Um, I'm doing match reports there and, and building up experience. Um, I started a radio station in lockdown, so that's got some funding as well. So I'm carrying on that um, and kind of just, you know, uh, keeping my my own experiences broad and, you know, bringing what skills I have to to help with other things. So, for example, Berry AFC, uh, we started, uh, well, there's, a, there's the Berry AFC TV and we did a pre-match show, uh, which I anchored the other week uh, at the moment it's the only one uh, but we are doing like an in-house uh, like youtube tv show so i've been hosting that so it's it's all stuff that uh, as far as the berry side is concerned it can help the club and then it helps my own experience and as far as for me um i'm, I'm at that weird point where i, I kind of know i need to get a job because uh, we've got a mortgage that's going to get defaulted on if i don't but in the meantime uh, this year for me is about getting my qualifications and experience and kind of uh, you know, hopefully not racking up too much debt and surviving and hopefully coming out of lockdown the other side and, and being able to to make a go of this. And, you know, worst case scenario, uh, I'll be back trying to stop kids melting pens in Bunsen burners and I'll be back in a science lab teaching science, <laughs> but still doing journalism as well. Okay. How's your experience been as an Asian, either with the BBC or being a sports journalist? Because there can't be many... Asian match day reporters, I guess, especially at the moment where there's hardly anyone going to games. Yeah, well, my uh, my university course I'm on at the moment has been funded by the Journalism Diversity Fund, which has um, been organised, or it's a group that's funded by um, journalists, uh, you know, newspapers and media companies themselves. They all contribute towards this. Uh, and it gives money to to people, uh, you know, underrepresented to to help diversify journalism because journalism is a very uh, white profession. The, the stats don't lie. It's something like I think it was ninety eight percent. I think uh, white, something like that. Um, so, which you know isn't isn't quite reflective of our society, and that, and that bears itself out in in what stories are prioritised, what viewpoint is shown in those in those stories across all all media. So. For me, as a British Asian, that that's something that I have in my head as well. I almost feel like I have a bit of a responsibility to make sure I'm doing the best I can do for me, but also, you know, representing an underrepresented underrepresented group uh, in society. And I kind of as well feel like I've I've sometimes got to not not be contrary or anything, but my my experiences are different. 
you know, for a long time, I always thought like, oh, you know, my, my own personal family situation was we we kind of got a bit disconnected from the Asian community in, in a lot of ways. And I, sometimes I feel like a bit of a, a, an imposter. And I, and I realized that it's more we're shaped by our own experiences and, and if our experiences are ones of being other and different that then gives you a an insight that's different to, to a lot of other people you know if you always feel like the outsider then the way you think is going to be different and uh, if you want to have a diverse newsroom then uh, your different way of, sort of thinking is also where it's at as well as well as your own um, ethnic background and, and general um, wherever your roots are um, as far as like reporting on a match day it is a it is a strange situation to be in you know you know i'm only a freelancer and, and I'm, I'm so grateful for the opportunities to even uh be doing anything uh, and wear a bbc lanyard i'm just amazed when i look down and look at it it's crazy um which is just a, a brilliant experience and being able to to be in, in a game and watch a game at the moment in particular is uh is amazing you know to to be able to do that when, when no one's allowed to go and watch football at all so i'm really grateful to that i i mean you it's, it goes for me you know I mentioned before about going into somewhere and feeling like other you know going into a pub for the first time and not knowing anyone there and people looking at you i mean i remember when i first did some shadowing at bolton wanderers and walking into the press box and obviously bolton were a premier league side formerly so they've got all these facilities and you go in and you're the only uh you're the only brown face in the room you're the only one there. And I don't know if anyone looked at me and went, oh, look at him or anything like that. I don't think, I don't think they thought like that, but I certainly noticed it, you know. And um, but then again, the only way that's going to change is by people being able to to go into this. And thankfully for me, uh, the journalism diversity fund has allowed me a means to do that um and try and pursue this as a as a profession rather than something that you know I can do on the side. Um, but I think overall. You know, we've seen conversations this year in particular around diversity and inclusion. You know, the conversations are changing and those in power are more aware of their responsibilities to to have um, outputs and people producing that that reflect our society. Um, and if I can be a small, small little cog part in that change, then I know I'm doing a good, a good job. Cool. Fantastic. Z, any final questions for Sunny? Um, I'm just impressed with the fact that you've made a career change. You had this passion when you were younger and you decided right in the middle of the pandemic to make a positive change. And I think it is a positive change because you brought something out, you brought a story from your locale that you have a lot of interest in. And I think that's what journalism is about. And um, yeah, you know, all power to you. Cheers. Nice one. I've got a very, very understanding wife as well. She's puts up with a lot. (laughs) Hey, and you know what? We haven't even talked about Harpal Singh. I mentioned Harpal Singh. Yeah. We're going to talk about yeah. him. Let's talk about Harpal Singh. Yeah, <laughs> my mate. Well, you know, my, well, my mate Steve. He, you know, sat with him on the terraces, and he thought he'd made up a chant, sing a song for <laughs> Harpal Singh, and all three of us sang it. No one else joined in. But yeah, well, no, and I, I wanted to talk about it but only because, like, so Harpal made know, his see, debut a year after Bai Chung, right? So I think Bai Chung was two ninety nine or two thousand. Yeah, and and I, 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 you know, such a strange one for him because I know I distinctly know that he was on the bench the day that Leeds United went top of the Premier League, mm. and uh, ended up at Berry, and I was like, wow, this guy actually like looking at him, he going, he actually looks like us. You know, he's he's far better than us, <laughs> obviously, and uh, and it was amazing to see him play. And he actually came back for a second spell on loan as well, and I had so you know, and he was he was also a champ man legend as well back then. 
Um, yeah, I loved seeing Harple Singh play. Um, and, I, and I wonder, you know, I don't know if you guys uh, can ever speak to him, but I wonder what a conversation with him would be like, because I bet you he'd have some stories to tell. I think we've spoken about reaching out to him. So I'm waiting for Z to make the arrangements. There you go, Z. <laughs> it's all on you now. <laughs> when, when he answers the message, then uh, then all systems go. <laughs> but you also had, there was another, I remember at Berry, there was a, a kid coming through called Krishnan Patel who came through the um, the academy and was well, a scholar there as well. Yeah, um, actually, back when Krish was going through that setup, I was doing um, a bit of work experience at the club because uh, I was doing my um, training as, in, in sports psychology, which is something else I was training in. Um, and I've got lots of qualifications, <laughs> just collecting them. You know, I've got enough letters after my name as it is, let alone. Um, but yeah, he, he was a, a great footballer, but I don't, I don't know what happened to him because back when um, the youth team at that time uh not too many players were progressing into the first team. And there was quite a few players who'd, who'd not make it at Bury and then end up signing for other clubs, bigger clubs, better clubs. So um, I didn't manage to keep track of what happened to Chris after he left Bury. I don't know if, if you know any more than I do on that front. Don't quote me on this. I think he, he went to the States to do a scholarship out there. Oh, but wow. I'm not, I have a story that I need to follow up on, actually. But I remember him coming through because he was nominated, he was shortlisted for an award. Um, when he was coming through the through the through the academy as well, that's what that name just sprung to mind. Yeah, well, I don't know if you can hear my wife in the background there talking to us. He's he's best of his trousers company, but yeah. Um, from my memory of him, he's he was technically very good, uh, mm. pretty hardworking, um, could play in the midfield and uh, pretty industrious as well. Yeah, uh, the plaudits that he got were were deserved. Um, and. You know, it, there's there's so many Asian players out there, aren't there? And you and at some point they, they disappear for whatever reason. If he's gone to the states, and you know, he's probably done really well for himself. But uh, you know, you, you guys are doing a great job with the with the podcast. You you're putting a spotlight that needs to be to be shone. And all credit to you two for for getting this going. And anyone else who's involved as well, for you're doing a great job. Thank you very much. Okay, so if people want to keep in touch with what you're up to, first of all, I'm going to plug the podcast again because I think it's. Fantastic. So out of our league, BBC Sounds available in wherever podcasts are available. Um, how about yourself personally? Uh, well, you can you can find me on uh, Twitter at Sanyar1985. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how old I am. But then you two are about Z's about that age as well. So it doesn't feel so bad. It only feels bad when I'm talking to people on my master's course and they're all like 21 and 22. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter. You can find me there. Um, and uh yeah, that's that's probably the main place where you'll find me just randomly posting either stuff about football and sport or uh, complaining to my council or something. I don't know, <laughs> tweeting <laughs> random stuff like that. Who knows? <laughs> Fantastic. OK, excellent. Sunny, listen, it's been fascinating. I love the conversation. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, a pleasure. Anytime. <laughs>